Good afternoon, Meat Suits. Welcome back to Read and Weep Season 4. Three guys with perfect opinions about movies, TV, and pop culture talking mostly this month about the Oscars. I'm your host, Alex Falcone, recording from North Koreatown, Los Angeles, California, and I'm joined by my good friends. First up, he's at Anthony Lopez Part 2 in Southeast Portland, and he would like everybody to know that there will be public fornication here. It's Mr. Anthony <laughs> Lopez. Ah. <laughs> uh. Captain John H. Miller, Private First Class <laughs> Richard Rival, Private First Class oh, James Francis Ryan. Oh, this uh, is technical sergeant Mike. I'm I'm reading the cast from Save It, Private Ryan. All the people who died <laughs> in that movie. You didn't even pick a uh, Vietnam movie. Um, also, First Class Adrian Capanzo. Private also Stanley joining Fitch us, Mellish. He's at Hun Bun on Letterbox from the woods of Arkansas. He thinks Hitler's a real creepers. It's Hunter Donaldson. God, I couldn't believe that line. That was hilarious. Uh, I do know, for the record, though, what I want to confirm, I do think Hitler is real creepers. Yeah, if we, I'm, I'm going to take a vote. I'm also going to second that. Real creepers. Anthony? Yeah. I, mean, I, I like to think you got to separate the art from the artist. <laughs> so, like, as a painter, I mean, his, his, you know, his, like, the way he paints stuff with, like, no perspective yeah. and weird faces, right. it's just really... <laughs> speaks to me but yeah, he's a vegetarian too yeah, so you know right. as a person, um, i'm before, not a huge fan before we talk about either of these movies I'd, yeah. I'd like to thank all of our generous meat buddies who forgot that they were supporting our show each month if you'd like to join them and help keep the show hobbling down the tracks go to metreon.com and we thank everybody for supporting the show all right so um we're doing things a little bit different this week because we got two movies to take care of um so we're going to start out with our two, so we're watching two movies. Basically, last week we talked about BattleBots, and so this week we are staging a battle between two writer directors who think all humans talk like robots. <laughs> so first up, we're watching the Netflix film *The Trial of the Chicago 7, written and directed by Aaron Sorkin and starring the Coke brother from *Succession*, the hot nerd from *Looper*, one of the top three Batman, Borat, Stephen Hawking, and the Zodiac Killer. Mm. I mean, I, I like to think of it more as the trial of the Chicago. Four and then four other people who also happen to be there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it's it, a it, movie. The, the title for the movie. It's the the trial of the Chicago sum. Mm. <laughs> Occasionally, the Chicago many, but it is a flexible number for sure. Um, this one we're gonna. Be, I have. No, I guess actually, I guess we can really spoil both of these a little bit since they're both real things um, yeah. based on real things. So I'm not gonna be too worried about that. But let me give you the summary um, of the trial of the Chicago Seven. First, here's my micro summary um, from the new. Uh, this is on Netflix. I don't think I mentioned that on Netflix. Okay, great. Micro summary. Okay, uh, it's the late 1960s, and the Democratic National Committee or convention is set to nominate Hubert Humphrey in a big party in Chicago. A decision that they are sure to not regret. Uh, a bunch of people turn out to protest uh, Mr. H H and the Vietnam War, and as always, is a risk with protests on the left. Set up tents and have a jam band. But Chicago doesn't care for that business, so they send in the police to continually prove they're not the good guys uh, by beating the crap out of people who are listening to jam bands in a park. Later, the fascist government of the newly elected Richard Nixon decides to <laughs> prosecute the leaders of different groups that showed up as a conspiracy, which is probably the funniest charge to ever level against people on the left. I feel like they've proven very carefully for their entire lives 
that they're incapable of working together to solve problems. Um, <laughs> they try between six and nine people at any given time, uh, including the leader of the Black, Panther, Pan- Black Panthers, who doesn't know any of the others, only got a cup of co- coffee in Chicago that day and doesn't have a lawyer and get a uh, perfectly well, he racist. Has a lawyer. His lawyer is yeah. sick. Though. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. He's not allowed to have his lawyer there. Yes. Yes. Um, and they also bring in a perfectly racist judge who leads a kangaroo court uh, that ultimately convicts most of them, even though it is incredibly obvious they'll be overturned the next day on appeal. And Aaron Sorkin thinks the most interesting parts of all of this is two different rich lefties arguing over the proper way to protest yeah. and making jokes. <laughs> hey, wait, do we need to actually talk about this movie? Because like, I feel like, Alex, you just nailed it so good. The oh, yeah? summary of the movie is, that's it. We, well, I think the analysis is complete. No, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm just got, so relieved that you're on, on you, you agree with that, because I thought that was going to get me in real hot water. I have no, so no. many, th- I want to first off say, um, I'm, Aaron Sorkin is a guy I, I find pretty complicated. I do think that this movie, you know, the one thing you have to say, I can say about Sorkin is he is consistent. You know, he has every character sounds (laughs) the same through his entire career. Not just that, but like in this movie, you not only get all of that classic Sorkinisms, you also get, you know, his, you know, three more characters to add to the pantheon of great Sorkin female characters. (laughs) Uh, You know, this movie has has the incredible. Roles of flag waving assault victim, yes, uh, phone answering harassment victim, <laughs> dubious FBI agent, yeah, just great strong. Well, and actually, that the lady ladies. answering the phone was more interesting than all of the guys in that place. Yeah. And the 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 FBI lady who was so convincing undercover, she made uh, Succession brother fall in love with her. Yeah. Also, a more interesting character. Well, yeah. Hey, also at the end there, don't forget hashtag not all FBI agents because she's kind of a good guy right she has a little well and and then also the end of the movie is kind of a hashtag not all prosecutors or whatever they gave jgl that crisis of conscience which doesn't so as far as i can tell never happened at all there's no evidence that that guy felt anything so (laughs) this movie is like you know a lot of people say about like the transformer movies or marvel movies like you have to tone your brain off to enjoy it right uh this to me is the ultimate tone your brain off to enjoy it uh, type of movie. It is like the type of movie, like if you think about it too much or if you let your brain kind of run through what's actually happening, uh, it becomes just a worse and worse movie. The more you think about it like this to right. me is okay. the okay. ultimate boomer neoliberal uh, power right. fantasy and wish yes. fulfillment movie I have ever seen yeah, in I my entire that. life. It is solely, this is Aaron Sorkin, uh, saying like, yeah, like I just want the Chapo Trap House guys to tell me I'm cool. That's it. That's <laughs> what this entire movie is. It is. It like I really thought like the way this movie deals with these characters, especially taking real people and turning them into caricatures, or the way the movie yeah. deals with um, uh, what was the leader of the Chicago, uh, the Black Panther, Bobby Seal, Bobby, Bobby Seal, the way Bobby Seal's character is portrayed in this movie in particular, I think is pretty gross. And it's just there to like make you like feel bad 
uh, and just to be tortured on screen. And then he's just he excused from the movie. movie. And then yep, he's yeah. allowed to exit stage left and never return. And and almost certainly a more interesting story than any of the guys. And also a pretty kick-ass show. performance for somebody that's like kind of no just in, kidding. what, like three yeah. scenes? Like, he, he's super yeah, memorable he for that. Everything mm-hmm. into that. Yeah. yeah. Dude, like, I thought the way he played the character was really interesting. And it's the type of thing, like, when you learn kind of the facts about what actually happened in this case. Uh, it really kind of sours you even more on what happened, especially around the Bobby Seal stuff. Like I thought the, you know, like the him being ga- gagged and, you know, handcuffed in court is like a real thing that happened. It didn't happen the day after Fred Hampton's murder. It happened before that. But like the fact that like he needs to like justify why he would be so angry and especially sure, yeah. the, you know, the scene when he's like, it ha- the last thing he says before he gets gagged is he tells the judge to go fuck himself, which never happened. But I feel like even pitting it would that be kind reasonable. Of, but pitting that kind of stuff in the movie, it's like, well, yeah, it's terrible. He's getting gagged, but he did tell the judge to go fuck himself. So oh, like, interesting. Like, so you're saying that his that um, Sorkin like punched up his anger to make it seem like the fact that uh, of the trial itself wasn't enough. Yeah. They like gave the him idea, more justification for it, for that. Yeah. The and then idea, give justification for the judge back. Yeah, exactly. Like that kind of stuff, the stuff with like the Joseph Gordon Levitt's character, who's like a care. So like, is like really torn between this doesn't yeah. work. All this I don't even stu- know why, why'd you even tell me that? Why did I even yeah. need to know that about that prosecutor character? Yeah. Because it had no impact on the movie. It just made me feel a little bit like, yeah, I guess that guy just, yeah. I mean, he's doing his job and I guess he doesn't really care about kids. the fact that his beliefs yeah. don't match up with it. Like, yeah, it, it goes into that, like a uh, neoliberal wish fulfillment. Like, Hey, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. like you, you might want to be, you know, Tom Hayden, but even if you end up being, you know, assistant federal p- prosecutor, Richard yes. Schultz, you yeah. can still be a good guy, you know? Right. It doesn't make you a bad person. Because- and if we make good enough arguments, they're going to feel bad, and they're going to kind of want to be on our side, even if they ultimately do nothing about it. Right. <laughs> also, is is that based in any fact no, whatsoever? Not, not at all. Everything I've read, bullshit. not even a little okay. bit. I hated that part kids. of the movie, and I hate it even more knowing that it's completely <laughs> fabricated. Yeah. Uh, this is yeah. the type of movie, like, so... I thought some stuff was pretty interesting about uh, kind of the development of this film. So this movie was written in 2006 to be directed by Steven Spielberg, which I think that if this movie had come out in Mm. like 2008 had been a Spielberg movie, it would feel very different than coming out in 2020 with everything going on in our world right, right now, especially with police and sort of, you know, yeah, this felt like, to me, like it was written specifically for the time to try to like capture this. I mean, that's why I was saying that stuff about the argument about how to protest is it felt like they were, tr- he was trying to enact the argument that was going on on Twitter in the last year yeah. um, between different but, factions on the left. And it, you're saying that was not the original intention. Yeah. I mean, he might've added to it. Like I said, like I said, the stuff about like the, him wanting like he absolutely is writing thomas hayden as himself right and like yeah, he's, right he's right. sanded and, off and off everybody the, thomas hayden argues with as his girlfriend yes <laughs> he's he's sanded <laughs> every sort character sounds like aaron sorgan is trying to win an argument with a girlfriend and mm-hmm. i'm just hearing it play out and then he and then he'll switch sides and be like now this character is me and the other character is my girlfriend i'm so smart <laughs> And this movie, it's like he sanded off all the edges of Thomas Hayden. He makes him this person who is like uh, very much a sort of Sorkin's generation, uh, the way he viewed 
the 60s and the yuppie movement and all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, but like the yuppie while, movement, the yippie movement. Yippie. Uh, okay. But while like criticizing uh, the people who are sort of, you know, the Abby Hoffman's of the world uh, talking about how like, you know, they're not taking this seriously and doing all this stuff is terrible and it's going to hurt, you know, leftist politics. But at the same time, they all secretly really respect me. Like, People on the left may make fun of me, Aaron Sorkin, a lot for my politics, but deep down, they love my writing style. Uh, yeah. They all have so much respect for me secretly, uh, and that's what this movie is. It's just I his. I feel like Hoffman might even be a really interesting character, but the way, but the, I mean, I guess he was doing kind of stand-up comedy, but I, one of the things I think is the pro- most biggest problem with this for me was the casting of this movie. If all of these people were actors that I could um, forget who they are for a second, I might have enjoyed it more than like, especially with JGL and Borat. I was just like, I'm never going to get into this movie right now. I, I can't not watch Borat this whole time. Yeah, yeah. And I- it seems like Abby Hoffman is a super interesting person, but played by Borat, he just seems like he's he's a hippie Borat. Yeah, well, he also, they, like, the stuff that they put in Abby Hoffman's mouth in this movie, the thing about how, like, I love American institutions, I think they're just filled with bad people, like, Abby Hoffman would never that doesn't sound like that. Uh, Abby Hoffman, this, you know, like, guy who's Jewish heritage, really proud of that, it's a big part of his life, uh, and the fact that he's, like, quoting New Testament scripture on the stand, yeah, weird. which is another <laughs> thing that never happened, it's just like, sure. what the fuck? Uh, the whole, and then there's, like, all this other stuff that, like, again, kind of just looking into the truth of it, There's I find it so revealing, the things he decides to change, so there's, like, uh, two big things that really like kind of shocked me in terms of like how he chose to portray these events. One, there's this wild scene when a bunch of frat boys decide to sexually assault a woman during a riot, like with tear gas all around them and everything, which never happened. But what did happen was Jeremy Rubin, the Jeremy Strong character did uh, protect the woman who was getting attacked by some like shitty dudes at that riot. But she was holding a communist flag. And oh. he changed it to a, an American flag. Weird. Because, again, in his mind, in Sorkin's mind, it's like, look, deep down, we know, we may disagree, but we truly all love America. We all think America's the best. <laughs> and, if lady, and it's like, if I had this lady waving a communist flag, maybe the audience might think the guys were justified in assaulting her. Oh, and it's man. Like changing stuff like that. Or the idea at the end, the movie ends with this very, I think, very hokey reading the names of all the dead soldiers, which did happen. It happened earlier in the trial. It wasn't Tom Hayden who uh, read it. It was the Zodiac Killer actor who read it. But he he read the American names and the Vietnamese names of people who had died during that time. And the fact that, again, he's like, well... I don't want to hear us be naming a bunch of Vietnamese people because then maybe the audience won't like them as much. Uh, man, it's like that. That, that is fascinating too, that man. Is- Both of those things you're talking about, like, I just want to make these arguments like uh, of these people who were um, making a stand, a counterculture stand that was getting them in trouble. 
they were taking a stance that was unpopular and made their lives difficult. And he was like, I'm just going to make them stronger arguments by making them more like me. Right. And then right. I will say those things. Yeah, that's <laughs> he's, really he's cleaning gross. it up. And by yeah. cleaning it up, he's just making it something that works for him, basically. So it really and, gives me the, the feeling that, like, Abby Hoffman would not have liked Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. No. Oh, I think that's a, yeah, for sure. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Abby Hoffman, you know, like, famously, his his book is titled Still This Book, right? Yeah. And, like, yeah. the movie is called Still This Movie. Like, I can't imagine he would be, like... He would be like, share Netflix accounts. You know, that's what he would say about this movie. He would say, like, don't, don't pay for your own to watch this. Um, yeah. yeah. But yeah, the way it portrayed all of these people, I found to be really distasteful. Especially, like, Jerry Rubin, who I didn't know too much about before sort of doing research uh, after watching this movie. And, like, yeah, he kind of sold out and became, like, a multi-level marketing guru, which is pretty gross. But, like... Oh, wait, wait, he, wait. Who did? Jeremy Strong's character, Jerry Rubin. Uh, he became a stockbroker and an MLM. Uh, yeah, they tell so really, at the end of the movie. So he, like, really sold out. But the fact that he was, like, he was still, like, a true countercultural person on the ground, risking his safety, his life you know, to, like, do these things that he believed in and to turn him into, like, a stoner burnout caricature for comic right. relief. I yep. thought it's just like, like, what? What? What is happening why here? Why couldn't the two, like, people that were just kind of there be that, at least? You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. there, there were... there. I, I, I don't want to sound like oh, well, like, he, he shouldn't have... He should have just presented it, man. Like, I, I understand that that a movie uh, about a true event has to play a little bit with it in order to make it a palatable movie. Mm. Uh, but you just learn so much. I mean, I, like I, I didn't even have to confirm a lot of this stuff, even just in watching the movie, I could feel the bullshit basically right. in yeah. it. Uh, you could just sense it, feel it out, especially because it's Aaron Sorkin, somebody that I don't know who you probably know, not necessarily a lot about personally, but if you've seen, you've probably seen some Sorkin stuff. So yeah. you just kind of know like, oh, so like automatically you come into it being like, wow, this sounds like a Sorkin thing, but it really happened. So it has to be sort of bullshit. Like there's no <laughs> way for it to have just organically been, oh, wow, this like real historical event just kind of fits right into his voice and everything makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I've always thought it's okay to change stuff if it, like, serves a purpose. And I think Sorkin's career, ha and, like, especially comparing this with Mank, I think is really interesting. Because Mank yeah. also changes a lot of facts, but it does it for a reason. Because it's not about telling the true story. It's about, like, this bigger thing. And I think you can look at even other Sorkin movies that are directed by other things. Like, Alex, I know you're not a big fan of The Social Network. But, like, I think The Social Network is, like, not at all a true movie. It's not no. what happened, but that's not no. the point. He's at what Fincher was making there is a movie about the decline of the ruling class in America. And oh, like no, no, no. no I think the, stuff, the, his, his point was that he thinks that Mark Zuckerberg has autism and that's what he wants everyone to know. Uh, that's the whole thing of that movie. Is... Well, well, we'll have to set that aside for another time. We don't have time for that. But like Steve Jobs, <laughs> another Sorkin movie that is very factually inaccurate, but it changes those things to make a greater point about the way we as a society view people like Steve Jobs, right? 
So I think that there's I nothing like, wrong with that. Yeah, um, it's just that the things he changed in this movie, he changed to make his arguments better, not to make yes. like yeah. Also, I guess was anybody else really put off by the um like I, I I'm not put off by the idea of doing this in a movie, but the, doing it in this movie, I did not like the intercut the intercutting of real photos from the real uh, place because I did not really buy into or believe the reality of well, the movie yeah so, exactly so yeah. that's the thing that i it, it it bothers me in light of what we were just what anthony was just talking about which is like if 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 you're trying to make it feel like i'm learning something and then you're lying to me i don't like it if it's like mank is like well it's in black and white so i believe that it's old like but you're gonna change some things it feels different from like these are the actual pictures but then i'm gonna make the facts wrong it, yeah. just, it feels more more deceitful. Yeah, I mean, uh, more dishonest. Well, it's so like the idea that he tried to like. I think the framing of the movie is fairly interesting. I don't think it's executed well, but the idea of like trying to make the riot a like a whodunit mystery, essentially, like right that we never see the riot until basically the very end of the movie. Right? It just it opens with them going, then it cuts to them on trial. And you're getting little snippets of it. Right. But I feel like, I think that's like an interesting. Yeah, I super, I did not feel that until the end when I was like, when he did that reveal, I was like, oh, was I supposed to be wondering how this ended? Yeah. But because the rest of it is so clear that it's like, like, I mean, I know how riots generally go. It doesn't matter what he said there. It does like none of that is important. The important thing is that when you have cops start beating people up, it escalates violence and that some people in every protest would like to be violent and most of them would not. And if you escalate it, you're going to switch that bear that that number from some to many. And you're like all like I'm not I was not particularly concerned, like who was the last person talking before they they marched this direction? Like, I just did not. When they when he revealed it, I was like, "Oh, that feels like he thought I was interested in this fact." Yeah, <laughs> and the the fact that it comes down to a like a semantics and sort of meaning of nouns thing to make Tom Hayden seem like a good guy still. God, like, yeah, just, like, that just didn't hit at yeah, all. That just happened yeah. in the movie, and I was like, yeah. "Well, um, okay, next scene, yeah. I guess." Yeah, like, <laughs> all of that is just there again. I feel like to soften Tom Hayden, who again was not this clean cut guy who like wore suits every day, or the fact that the movie goes out of its way to like one of the most embarrassing things Tom Hayden had to live with was that he was the one guy who stood up. Uh, when everyone else said, right, and the right. fact that the movie like goes out of its way to be like, oh, it was just an accident. He wasn't thinking. Like they really tried to justify that, yeah. kind of whitewash what he did there. I, uh, which I okay, I, I will say that could be true. I don't know. It's easy to accidentally. I do that kind of like you, you ever go to church? Man, I always stand up at the wrong time. <laughs> <laughs> you get you get in a habit. It's easy to forget. Well, regardless, it's kind of it's. I don't just. I just don't care. Like it just yeah. didn't. It, it, it. There's a lot of stuff in the movie that I feel like. Uh, just I don't know. It, it was like they were confused as to what uh, I might want from this movie. Uh, yes, and what yes. I want is for the Michael Keaton cameo to be longer. That's yes. all, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's pretty much it. After Michael Keaton's gone, it's kind of yeah. Uh, that's kind of well, it. And th- so, so yeah, this is exactly what I was getting at, at the beginning with the different characters that I thought were all more interesting than what we were talking about. This is like a classic no retreat, no surrender for for this show, which is like every minor character that walks by, I would rather hang out with. 
Everyone yeah. who gets three minutes, I would rather get 20. And then the people we spend the most time with, I'm like, yeah, I cool. You guys have slightly different opinions. Anyway. Yeah. And um, like, as long his as... His friend was murdered. Shouldn't we talk about him more? <laughs> um, no, I, lo- I do like the way Bobby Seal is just completely there just to be tortured uh, and then exit stage left and never be seen from again yeah. is pretty shocking. It's, I yeah. thought, yeah, um, I agree. It's ridiculous too because in the movie, it's almost like they're alluding to the. I don't know. It's like it's it's like it's referencing the nastiness of this. And then just reproducing it without even kind of batting an eye at it. Yeah. Like it's just saying like, oh, that sucks how they how they treated him. Uh, anyways, let's treat him that way and then get him <laughs> out of here because yeah. the story is not about him. It's like, dude, yeah. you just did the same thing. You did the same thing. Yeah, it's not like you don't know how to follow someone out of the courtroom. You just did it back to their cool, their weird house right. with the and secretary. It's like, like to a certain extent, it's it's like, okay, so you... He leaves because you're like, no, the movie's not about him. Okay, then how come he was even in the movie? Like he, it seems like if there was nothing to be gained by him, like if the story isn't really about him at all, then why? Why is he even there? Like accuracy? Clearly, accuracy does not matter. So right. easily, we could have written this character out. Yeah, and, and yeah, they built like it was going to something, and then it just right. disappeared forever. Yeah. Um, I will say here's here's the one thing I felt leaving this though that is probably the least interesting take anyone's ever had, um, which is that this does seem like a tough time. Because um, mm-hmm. we talked about Vietnam, we watched you know we talked about the Vietnam documentary that I watched. We talked about um, uh, that uh, um, the Vietnam Heart of Darkness um, setup. Um, uh, but I the, the the one part of this that I felt uh, exceptionally difficult was just the way they were talking about the draft. I just hadn't felt, I, I hadn't thought of myself in that situation as, as often. Um, and just what an in, insanely difficult thing there being a mm-hmm. draft and the number, there's just a lottery to whether or not you get to live this year. Yeah. That is so unfathomable. Even though things seem really bad right now, there is not a death lottery. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. so weird. From the I, mean, I guess there's uh, all kinds of death lotteries, but it's not one, plenty not one that's literally a number and that's from the government. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the, what you decide, like you can, there are ways you can get out of it and those will also mark you for life. Um, yeah. yeah it's just it's really gnarly to think about. Kind of blows a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah. I mean, hey, I think we can all agree. We all love American institutions. It's just a few bad apples <laughs> inside them. That is the I, problem. You Anthony, know? I'm glad that you wanted to push it in that direction because you were saying no, no, no at the beginning. And I thought you were going to push back in a different direction that would have been harder for me. <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, one of our uh, we have a, a letter that I'm going to talk more about later from uh, our favorite or my former favorite uh listener robin who said uh that her cat's favorite part of the show is when anthony and hunter gang up on alex and i just want to disagree with your cat that's not my favorite part that's that funny. part makes me feel bad on the inside so we i'm glad we got cats. to do a different yeah. thing yeah i mean i i uh i'm always over here shining laser pointers i'm glad the cats could pick that up audioly yeah um, yeah absolutely well we got a couple more things we're gonna do but we're, we're gonna do a take a break thank a meat buddy and then come back and talk about mank We haven't done this in a little while. 
but it's time to thank a meat buddy. So Ooh. whenever somebody becomes a new meat buddy, uh, we do a little, we offer a little segment thanking them and um, they never go great. Um, so maybe it's not that surprising that like the last 10 meat buddies who have signed up have opted to not get a thank you segment <laughs> really tells you how good you're doing at those thank you segments when it's a burden on those who have, they're like, I'm donating, but in spite of what you're doing as a reward. <laughs> Um, but, uh, Beck from Sydney, Australia became a meat buddy, uh, recently and, uh, she was willing. And in fact, it sounds interested in getting uh, a thank you segment. So this is what Beck says. Um, COVID has meant that I haven't seen my sister in 19 months, by far the longest we've ever gone without visiting, which also means I haven't met my nephew who was born in February, 2020. They live two planes and seven hours plus layovers away. So not sure when it will actually happen. I would love some random compliments or a pep talk about how the world is definitely not going to end and things are improving. So well, as you I can mean, tell, our main, the three of us, if you were like, there's one thing that they stand for, it is optimism. <laughs> it's the future of the world. We are big fans of the future of the world. Mm -hmm, we are yeah. always talking about how everything yeah. is getting better and better. Yeah. I mean, look. Uh-huh. The good news is, I want to, what, what was the name again? Beck. Beck? Okay, Beck. Good news is, the world is not going to end. Uh, that is just never going to happen. Humanity well, might until, like, I mean, when, <laughs> die. Um, well, like, no, no, no. The planet, no, I want to be clear here. We must be scientific. The planet will end yes. at yeah, some yeah. point. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the sun will blow up. Yeah, look. Yeah. I, look we it's can like get that into, song from the dark remake of Annie, The Sun Will Blow Up Tomorrow. The yeah, sun look, will blow can, up tomorrow. <laughs> In a billion years, it will blow up. Look, we can, we've... I'm sure we've all spent plenty of time thinking about entropy and like the heat yeah. death of the universe, right? Yeah, sure, mm -hmm. that will happen on a long term. But for the most part, they like we're gonna be here. Oh, it's gonna be here for a long time. So the world's not gonna end. Now, in terms of society and people, those things more change, um, <laughs> and that happens. Uh, but I do think that with change comes new stuff. Everything is <laughs> with you know, change cyclical. comes new stuff. No, no, yeah. yeah, we should we should definitely live in that for a little that bit longer. That should be a tattoo. That's your motto. Comes, comes new, new stuff. stuff. <laughs> Look, every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. We yeah. all know this. We all listen yeah, to yeah, closing yeah, yeah. time. I like, I like it better the first way with change comes new stuff. Uh, yeah, but yeah, but yeah. You can you can clean it up a little bit too. Uh, <laughs> I I think that's true. Yeah, I think we should pave paradise and put up a parking lot. Yeah. Oh, I like. Yeah, that's Is that good the same too. Song? Um, yeah. I mean, I think. Uh, I, I think we just all got a same song. Okay. Hug more, uh, and oh. I think we can change the world for the better. Yeah. So look, I might want to be happy. Positivity, you know? <laughs> but like hug more. But I guess you can't. You can't hug anybody right, right. now. So the yeah. people that you can hug, make a list of your huggables. Okay, oh. your huggies, mm -hmm. uh, and then hug those people about as much as you would have hugged your total huggables, your total huggies. Uh, so to so compensate, like do more hugs, but with di like different people. Kind of rapid fire hugs, you yeah, know what I mean? One like when you would go in for one them. hug, get like five or Explain six micro hugs. Explain to them what you're doing first is my advice in that case. Because yeah, if that yeah, was happening fine. to be me, like, it would mostly hey, be upset. Hey, what up? I'm about to get some micro hugs because you're one of my hug huggies. Slash one of my huggables. Huggables, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I, 
I appreciate you guys' efforts on this. Um, this is this came at a difficult time for me in terms of like talking about how the world is not, definitely not going to end because L.A. had a, a, a lovely little earthquake swarm on Monday. Right. Um, and I woke up in a total panic uh, during one of the middle ones. Um, and uh, also, I saw a photo yesterday of uh, there was a, a, like when it floods in parts of Australia, all the spiders have to come out of the ground and just climb up the walls of your house. And so it feels like, I guess this is my biggest pep talk, is that if you're in Australia and you are not dead, um, you are already surviving the odds. You're already, you are the one in a million shot already. The fact that the spiders have not gotten you back is a gosh darn miracle. It's sort of, it's like when we're talking about in the, um, uh, in that, where, where the blue dick guy was on Mars and he's like, it's such a miracle that all these atoms bumped into each other and made you. This mm-hmm. is even more so because they made you put you in the land of spiders that can oh kill God. you and you survived. So this is actually you, a really great point you're making. It's you like are that. a miracle, Beck. Yeah. You should not be alive right Every now. day is a miracle Every for day you is a, in Australia. Absolutely. absolutely. Here, there's earthquake swarms presumably leading up to a big one that will kill me. But with you, it's like it's right there in the ground today. It's just waiting for it to rain and you to go outside and then you're yeah. done. Wow. Yeah. What so, the, What an amazing, what a gift. Yes. What an amazing gift. Yeah. I, mean, I think you should move, are you know, maybe move somewhere. Cool. Get out of yeah. there. That seems like a bad place. You know, it seems like a great place right now. New Zealand, huh? Ooh, yeah. No spiders and they can just do outdoor concerts where everybody licks each other. They don't care. They don't care. Well, and everybody knows if it's New Zealand versus Australia. I mean, it's New Zealand, and it's been New Zealand for a while now. Y'all need to step it up in Australia. New Zealand is better. I'm not better. sure that I was aware of that until uh, the COVID uh, pandemic, because then it was like, oh, New Zealand just decided to not participate oh, well, New in Zeal- this pandemic. Oh, come on. No, don't make that a New Zealand. Ver- New Zealand put us all to shame, okay, when COVID happened. New That's Zealand proved itself I'm saying I didn't realize that they one. were cooler beforehand. I'm saying the way they opted out of a global pandemic was badass. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think that's pretty right. I don't know if be- before that I would have been more pro Australia. I think I think that um, yeah, those uh, bad Lord of the Rings movies didn't do for me what they did for it, other. Oh right, yeah. You don't like Lord of the Rings, so it didn't matter for you. I don't know. Well, Knifey Spoonie's pretty good. Uh, I think we can thank you guys for Knifey Spoonie. That's it. I that's I, what I got. <laughs> kangaroos are cool. Yeah, I yeah. like kangaroos. Fan. I think Mogo Robbie's a really good actor. She's oh, Australian, okay. oh, right? Yeah, right, okay. right, right. Russell right. Crowe. Hugh Jackman. Kind of Russell Crowe's racist? What? Didn't Russell Crowe have a racist outburst? I haven't heard of him. Uh, Mel Gibson did. Mel Gibson, yeah, he's another sure. Aussie. Uh, uh, Russell okay. Crowe, probably. I don't, think I, was I don't have to look it up. Guys. I bet. No. I, I bet Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe, uh, I don't know. The last thing I heard about him doing was the, the most baller thing ever, the auction he held. Uh, last year, I don't know, or year before that, I don't know if you guys heard about that, but he was going uh, through a pretty uh, heinous divorce. So to finance it, he put on this huge auction when he sold a bunch of movie memorabilia, and it was like the divorce auction. He made like oh, really yeah, fancy yeah. flyers. It was a very funny thing to do. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a uh, Azalea Banks. He like choked her at a party and called her the N word. Well, I mean, I I wouldn't. Look, I I uh I don't Go know ahead. who to trust Go ahead. in that situation. Go between... ahead, walk into this landmine field. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna sit out here and defend Azalea Banks because she's never said anything problematic or lied about people. So I I uh, uh I'm I'm just saying I this is what I was I had heard. I'm not uh, Yeah, I'm I mean not, if you wanna I, like yeah. 
Anyway, the point back, world for stuff. Go ahead, Alex. Back, makes a lot of sense. Oh man, I, checks yeah. out. I uh, you really feel there on the side of no, you, you um, definitely like different. someone with that kind of you know open mind about gays and people of other races like her. I definitely I, know I you're a big fan. I don't think attacking the victim is the thing. I don't think attacking her credibility is actually the right thing here. Um, but anyway, back, back, back to you, back to you, back to you, back to you. Okay. One other thing, as you mentioned, that your sister is two, two plane rides and seven hours away. And I just want to say that this is probably true of most places you could go, right? Isn't it? You're like way far away from everything. Um, so not New I Zealand. Think, you could go to New Zealand. Well, that's true. Um, I mean, isn't but, Australia like. Because most of it is, like, coastal cities, so, like, each major city has, like, a very different feel. Like, Australia's, I've never sure. been there, but it's always seemed like yeah. the type of place that, like, you can go to essentially a different country within the same country. Like, it's sure. it's all these different views and everything. Different and, vibes, sure. I yeah. believe that. I guess... Um, Got that big old opera house. That's dope. I've heard of that opera house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, world's biggest gold nugget. Found that there. That's cool. Um, spiders did i mention the spiders i really hate spiders you guys i don't think i've ever talked about this how deathly afraid of spiders i am but i really do not care for them um, pretty bad but i i guess what i was going to say was I think they're cute everything is far away from you so instead of thinking of that as being two plane rides and seven hours away i'd be like that's a normal distance for you to get anywhere that's not in australia currently so it's your nephew's not that far away i think i think also, two planes, they only charge you for the one plane. It's not like you pay extra for the second plane. So I think this is more likely to happen than you're making it seem. You buy one I think ticket. You do somewhat pay extra for the second plane. Sometimes, okay? no. Because... Sometimes it's actually cheaper to take two legs than to yeah, take the one right. plane. Yeah, because planes it, it are It doesn't stupid. make any sense. They don't charge you per plane. They don't think charge you as, for gas is what it is. Think of it as BOGO planes. Yeah. That really and is free it. layovers. You get to hang out in an airport mall it's for yeah. free. So your nephew is close. Who doesn't think. love hanging out in an airport? You know, it's, they're just. Well, it's probably real hot place. in Australia. So, uh, so well, it might uh, be yeah. winter there right now. Airports are nice. It might, it might be winter currently. But then oh, it's yeah. just cold. And yeah. you know, airports are nice. They're nice and air conditioned. <laughs> yeah. the, they got oh, big HVAC or, systems. Or you know? yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. You know, airports. You got all the types of different food you could want. Knickknacks, great books. Also, Australia is like, whatever, they're like 16 hours in the future from us. So anywhere you go to visit, you're probably traveling back in time. So it's not even a full seven hours. Oh my God, I love that feeling of like gaining time by traveling. It's like, it feels, I don't know why it feels good. I get to do the middle part of Friday again? Yeah. Oh, I'd love a second chance in the middle part of Friday. second Second chances at Fridays. Anyway, um, I wouldn't feel better about this, Beck, but just know that we did try and also no refunds. I Those thought my huggable thing remember. was actually quite nice. So <laughs> the rest, I don't know what the rest of y'all were doing. I came up with something involving giving people lots of hugs. Yeah, so. your hug, the huggables thing was very sweet. I yeah. am just not crazy about um, too many hugs. I like to. Oh, I, oh, I forgot. Yeah, you're not, not be, a big you're hug not a big hug guy. Person. Yeah. Well, but, it's, um, they're optional. You know, it's like your huggables. That's how much that's that's how many huggies you got. No, those you know? are the people and, I would like to hug. I agree with that. It's just that if 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 my wife was like, I'm going to hug you 47 times for all the people I can't see right now. I'd be like, well, I'm glad you warned me. Otherwise, this would have been real weird. 
anyway, Beck, we really appreciate you uh, supporting the show. We're sorry we don't have more positivity <laughs> in the tank to give I'm you. Sorry, just the idea of your wife hugging you and you being like, this is weird. You're being okay, no, weird. No, no. Right. Look, if my wife hugs me, that's not weird. If she hugs me more than 12 times in a row, it starts to get weird. I don't in think in the 40s I'm like this is a this is a dare this is a TikTok video that I'm not supposed to know about this is a we're just different okay like I feel like I could get a million hugs in a row and I, w- well, I it would never I would get weird I would just also be like, remember the difference between 47 hugs in a row and one long hug yeah like this is a disengaging and then re-hugging whoa. is really also very strange behavior yeah long hugs are great because you get to take a little nap uh and lots of micro hugs are also great because it's exciting you know there's a lot of energy yeah i like to micro hug every day just to build up build up my just immune system to hug a low you know? level so, hug yeah. at all times yeah kind of just keep a mellow hug in the background like a poison situation yeah. you know you just kind of hug 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 you a little want every to day get an other nonsense segment like this with your name attached to it go and not and your wishes not fulfilled you can go to metreon.com and we really appreciate everyone who supports the show all right and now for our second movie the it's a it's a what's it called it's a double feature it's a double feature we're watching mank another netflix original uh mank directed by david fincher as part of the take your dad script to work day in hollywood Mm-hmm. Written by Papa Fincher and starring Scary Old Man as the titular Mankowitz who doesn't even a little bit pull off seeming in his 30s. And a. Oh my uh, God, del- that line like completely took me out of the movie when he is like, I'm 41. And I'm Wait, like, what? you don't even look, you do not look like. Like, I, I, I see what they were going for. It was like, he's drinking a lot, so he just looks older. Yeah, it's been a tough 41. But it, he, it, just, but it, it looked like work. a tough I'm 60 sorry. for I'm, him. I'm sorry, it was, y'all. It just doesn't work. It doesn't it work like the, that. It was the 1930s. People who were 12 looked like they were 50 back then. <laughs> All right. you know, I, life, I mean, I, life was I harder. Guess. That's true. <laughs> yeah. That is true. Um, and uh, also joining him was Amanda, Amanda Seyfried, a.k.a. Baby Mia, um, as Marion Davis, uh, the girlfriend of William Randolph Hearst, who doesn't get a ton of screen time, but when he does, he's played by Uncle Dickie, as well as a very strange cameo from Bill Nye, the socialist guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, let me give you, in case you have not yet seen Mank, and you don't remember the uh, various times Anthony's brought it up on the show, here's my micro-summary of Mank. Herman J. Mankwitz is a mostly washed-up alcoholic screenwriter with a broken leg who gets hired by Orson Welles to do all of the heavy lifting in writing the one of the best movies of all time, Citizen Kane. Uh, he's parked in a desert house with a secretary who takes dictation and helps smuggle alcohol. Um, and he does the entire screenplay just with just with her and the booze and no help from Orson. And this is important. Orson Welles is an idiot who did not help at all because he sucks and we hate him. And this is all Mank. Mank is rad. Mank did all the work. <laughs> Jesus, Alex. He writes the script. From. As a hit piece against his former friend William Randolph Hearst and his writing of the script is intercut with his backstory, arriving in Hollywood, improvising movie scripts, drinking to excess, gambling on coin tosses, saying every clever thing in a single day and accidentally single handedly defeating the liberal candidate for California governor. Then he fights with Orson over who should give credit for the movie, which obviously should be him because he's a genius and did all the work without any help from big dumb dumb head Orson Welles, who sucks and is a dumb doo doo head. And it works. Uh, but then he dies of alcohol-related things, yeah, in his early 40s. Um, you have a weird reading of this movie. I don't know what Orson Welles did to you, Alex, but you got to Well, I don't know what Orson down. Welles did to the... Uh, yeah, it's, it's more, what did Orson Welles do to Papa Fincher? The Fincher, Fincher family. Really... Yeah, Papa Fincher 
well, I mean, I, I do understand a little bit more of the backstory than that. But yeah, this just, I mean, it, the, the, one of the main thrusts, you were talking about what is different from real life. The main thrust of this is that Orson Welles sucks. And that is the thing that maybe is not entirely true. See, I don't but Orson Welles does suck. Yeah. No, this is this is the problem. Is that you're you're taking an argument that to me is a slam dunk. Orson Welles sucks. I mean, we've all seen <laughs> we've all seen the champagne commercial. We know that if this what guy didn't suck then, you, you you don't know about the champagne commercial. No, what champagne commercial? Oh my god! What YouTube right now? Orson Welles champagne commercial. It's one of the funniest things that's ever happened. Him making a champagne commercial, and it's later in his life. And uh-huh. he clearly just does not give a fuck at all. He does not want to be there. He doesn't want to do it. He's, well, he's barely trying. He's size. drunk himself. He's yeah. drinking the champagne. It's like a I Love Lucy um, episode where like she like the Vita vitamin stuff and she gets uh-huh. all fucked up off it and has to sell it. But yeah, he's trying to sell the champagne while drinking uh-huh, the champagne. Take it the take. French champagne. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put a link to this in the show notes as usual, but, um, but yeah, let me, you want me to actually watch this or just put it in the show notes and watch it later? Watch yeah, it later. watch it later. It's funny. Okay. It's, it's really very funny. Very early YouTube thing. Like one of those, like when YouTube first started is, is this and like it was a, like, like a fuck it. We'll do it live. It's sort of like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's behind the scenes footage, but it's right. not yeah, him like yelling at people. It's just him oh. being drunk and having trouble saying I love, those lines. So I'll just ruin the, I mean, the, just the first joke you of it is it. it starts and he's sitting there at the table with these two other actors and he doesn't say anything. And he just goes, is he going to say anything? Like he just <laughs> ruins the first take by not understanding who is supposed to speak first. And of course it's him. Like he's Orson Welles. Yeah, that's fun. Okay. I'll All watch right. that. I'm into it. Yeah. But I, I uh, I definitely think Mank, uh, to kind of get back to that, is uh, I think it's one of the lesser Fincher movies, but like Fincher's worst movie is one of, is, is one of those directors that his worst movie is better than most directors' best Wait, which films. one is his worst movie? Uh, I I mean, I don't know what, I mean, I would probably have to put like Alien 3, but I'm saying like this is at the lower tier, but all of his movies yeah. are so incredibly good and well-crafted yeah. and have so much rich detail and unique stuff in them and are so incredibly controlled and beautiful and well shot and acted um yeah i mentioned this to you guys before off the air but i really enjoyed this movie so yeah. i i do think there is something interesting about uh like the the thing about um mank and wells and and credit it, it's weird and the fact that it's not true is weird sometimes because it well, could have been more true really easily it so is- that's why i'm like not sure him and Orson Welles did fight over credit. Like Orson Welles wanted sure, yeah, 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 soul yeah. writing credit. Like yes, all that this, stuff actually This happened. shows that Mankiewicz did all of the writing as opposed to they'd already spent three months brainstorming and laying out the entire movie plot together and then he went away to finish writing it. Um, and that this movie just forgets to mention that Orson Welles helped write the outline. Yeah, but and, and Orson Welles also did a pass after Mank yes. got the script. So he did like a uncredited rewrite essentially. Yeah. But well, actually, let me do this because I think one of the things about this movie is I saw somebody describe it uh, as sec- as boring in a sexy way, uh, the sexy kind of boring. Or And I, I thought that was a really good summary of it because this is, the movie is pretty low action, pretty focused on like the act of low writing is not very cinematic. That's how I would put it. There's, there's, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of tension in really any of yeah. the scenes. There's, there's until maybe one dinner party where everyone yeah. is dressed up as circus folk and then there's a lot of tension but before yeah, that, that yeah, rules. It's pretty low yeah. tension but i was so interested in the whole way and it's also a movie where i feel like i did not get 
a lot of things. I like there was a lot that I did not understand why it was happening. That I when I read more about it, uh, instead of ruining it, it just added this whole new layer of richness, and I really enjoyed that. So, um, and I'll put a link to the, my thing that I read that was the most interesting to me was a Vox wrote a long explainer about a bunch of different parts of this movie that shed so much really interesting light. And one thing I think is important for us to mention since we did do film school recently, that this is all based on uh, Pauline Kael, the Mm -hmm. New Yorker film writer. Yes. So, so Pauline Kael was like, uh, is a fascinating figure in film history and it was a writer about, yeah, yeah, incredible writer about film. Um, uh, wrote a book called Kiss Kiss Bang Bang about film that was uh, out of print but very well regarded, um, which is an interesting feat. Um, and also I had seen the movie Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and didn't realize it came from her and it also came from James Bond. So I learned a lot of stuff. Um, but anyway, uh, Pauline wrote this thing about how uh, this this long introduction to the a script that was being published of Citizen Kane and wrote this whole history of how it was written that basically made the argument that Orson Welles did not participate at all. This is entirely a Mankiewicz project laid out, made some very, very plausible claims, but also she didn't bother to research it at all. For example, Orson Welles was alive and she didn't ask him anything about it. Um, <laughs> so, which seems like kind of an oversight. And then um, she was, so she was writing for the New Yorker and there was uh, another writer who I've forgotten his name now, who was writing for the village voice. And they were like famous feuding film writers, which is also a fascinating dynamic, but he wrote kind of a response that involved a lot more of Orson Welles' side of the story. Anyway, the one, so this is mostly based on her version of events. This, this takes her version of how this came, this movie came to be, pretty strictly and leaves out a lot of the other arguments and which is most was probably fine i'm not super concerned i think wells has gotten more than enough credit for this so i'm not worried yeah that exactly this is now gonna there's no reason to rush to his defense but it is important to note that this is kind this is like a you know what's the what's the film quote of like a great film is uh two sides of a great argument. This is just one side of an right. argument. Well, I, so and I, I just think it would have been easy to say also they had done this outline together. Like it, that's the one I, part where I'm like, see, this would be so minor and very reasonable and would make it like significantly more realistic. That's the stuff about like what I was saying earlier about like, like what I think Fincher does really well is like same thing with like, I think this social network and two examples of, you know, based off true stories, but like they're not about the true story. The true story is completely fucking irrelevant to the movie Fincher is trying to make. He is making a movie about Hollywood, the way media uh, affects, um, like the cyclical nature of like people and wealth, the way it influences the earth that gets made and the way that influences the politics and the world around us, right? Like he doesn't care about any of the factual stuff because this movie's not trying to be a documentary it's trying to make a story make a thing about what the golden age of hollywood how it affected people how the wealthy and the powerful influenced that and the way that like outsider art can like shine a mirror back on that like it's not about the true story of who is orson what orson wells what mank did right i think he's he's trying to dig to something much deeper than just like a bullet points of facts uh, and I think that to me is like so much more interesting filmmaking while also still having like a bunch of great Easter eggs. Like I was telling you, Alex, about like the 
yeah. one of my favorite things to research about this was there's the scene when Marion Davis Davies is leaving the MGM studio and she has like a fleet of trucks taking this weird a bungalow. With her. Yeah. Yeah. It's because she actually had a villa bungalow built on the MGM set that she would take with her when she would go to other studios. So people would have to like disassemble this whole house and put it back. So and, crazy. Like, just stuff like that. The excess of wealth and the way that like power and influences. And also like my favorite scene of the movie is this very long walk and talk with the head of MGM when he basically lays out what m- the magic of the business side of movies, right? He has yeah. some incredible lines about movies are the only industry in which the only thing you get for your money is a memory. Yeah. You know, it's the only th- thing that like the person who sells it still owns the thing they just sold you. Yeah, that and, was like, great. All that stuff, the way that applies. Okay, you, like, I th- take- well, but that's okay. But there's okay. So I'm generally with you. There's a lot of industries where the person sold you only a memory. It's not just movies. It's also zoos, theme parks, massages. Uh, yeah, but uh, it's a good yeah. bit. Come on. Coaching. You like yeah, the no. bit. You it's like a great bit. bit. I know it's a great bit. Yeah, it's, it's not the only industry. He's but, never heard of anything else that's an experience, but it's a good bit. But that's not Alex. Come on. Uh, but that's like the, the point he's trying to apply to like what filmmaking is, how, how the creative process works, right? what what things are like how things get made and why people make things what attracts them to it like all that stuff that's in this movie is so rich with like detail and nuance and is like yeah you could say there are other experiential things like it but i think that like the fact that movies are this billion dollar industry now and the fact that so many people love and respond to like certain types of films that are getting made i don't know i just I don't know where I'm going with this anymore, but I just think like I definitely disrail, de- derailed you. I will also point out the massages are an 18 billion dollar industry, so um, there's a lot of experiences <laughs> that are billion dollar industries. Um, I, I yeah, but come on, you still got his point. You yeah, you, no, I got his you, point. It was good. It was good. And actually, I mean, I think one of the things as far as historical things, I'm like, is less interested in the um, a feud between two writers over who did the harder work. What I am than I am with like. Um, the role Hollywood played in um, the governor election, gubernatorial election of 1934 of getting, making sure Upton Sinclair didn't win. And the way they did that by claiming they were going to move all their movie studios to Florida and then making a series of fake newsreels with actors to scare people away and then playing before movies. The thing that still happens to that is happening right now. Like how many major companies over the last years have claimed due to like COVID laws or restrictions or certain politics. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yep. threatening them. Like that is still such a common thing. Oh, but also yeah, yeah. this That's sort of like for sure. yeah. the cult of Hollywood. Like so all the stuff with my mayor I just love so much. The scene when he convinces the actors and people yeah. to take pay cuts for him. And so promises that, to give them the like, money back and then doesn't. Yeah, like all that stuff about the way the powerful will take and take and take. But when you try to like take something from them, yeah, they'll do whatever they can to ruin yeah, it's, you. Right? It's, like, it's, a company is only a family when they need to do pay cuts, not when the, he's getting a huge bonus. Right. Yes. Uh, and they're not a family when the underling needs a favor, right? They're right. only yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a family into like keeping you and like, Especially, I guess it is a family in that a lot of the times it's fucked up. 
Yeah. And, and not everybody is actually trying to help everybody else in that family. Yeah. And uh, abusive yeah. and a lot of drinking and people just making stuff up on the spot. This is a pet peeve of mine. I just, anytime somebody refers to their company as a family, it makes me so yeah, fucking no, angry. Because you know what the disgusting. thing about my family is? They don't have to pay me to hang out with them. Right. Like the your fundamental claim is insane. It's not even oh, close to true. It's That's a, just a, it's just a it's your mar- internal marketing to try to get me to put up with more bullshit. Yeah, it's a psychological trap. Company yeah. is taking trap yeah, you. Yeah, I really hate really it. Horrible. So that was a brilliantly executed version of that. Um, um the actually my thing, one thing that I thought uh, the the way they took uh, people who were uh, former studio workers who they had convinced were going to, the studios were going to leave. And those people were basically like uh, they ended up homeless on the streets and they paid them to promote the candidate. They didn't want to win as long as they promised to continue to look homeless. So it would make it look like that. Oh, oh, this is the part, this party, this uh, guy is the guy who's supporting the homeless candidate. uh, So it would scare all the people with money away. And California politics is still completely fucked up and is basically homeowners ruining the the world for renters. That's the basic dichotomy of California politics. So to watch that playing out in the thirties is so interesting and terrifying. Yeah. And like the way really these things echo through time, right? Like so yeah. much of the way Hollywood and like a lot of this movie is like the way soft power works, right? Like something mm. you don't see as you definitely see a lot of now, but the way like, you know, a lot of American movies portray uh, enemies in certain ways. We also do that with, like, certain ideas, right? Like, socialism, communism, all these things of, like, Hollywood uses these ideas and uses the power of the state to, you know, trick people into voting against their best interests, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And I think yeah. that is the type of stuff that this movie does really well, while also, like, I think, like, um, Amanda Siegfried gives incredible performance is so great i really enjoyed oh. her in this movie and i didn't know much about that character and that was a really interesting part of this like about how attack the movie is not making doing a flattering portrayal of hearst but it's especially unflattering for her and mm-hmm. she was his real friend yes and that must have actually hurt her feelings and she tried to stop it um hunter i'm curious about you Mm-hmm. Um, you've been a little quieter during this, and my understanding is that you only feel like this is a three-star movie. So where do you fall on this? Oh, um, I think it's a movie with a lot of great craft. I do think that uh, I liked a lot of the performances. I agree with a lot of the positive things you guys are saying. It's just, I, 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 I don't think that david fincher should have done interviews where he smack talked orson wells and that i wish i had not read those Wait, before did he actually I watched do that because that would yeah, add yeah. to my theory that this is all a big orson wells hit piece well and i don't agree that you can kind of i don't want to write the movie off with that it just left a bad taste in my mouth and then you yeah, watch yeah, the movie it and it makes the movie seem a little petty and that's not in the movie, right? So I am now taking something that I didn't right. have to read, but that I did read, and then mm-hmm. going into the movie and making it feel a little bit like, I don't know, I it's just to kind of draw back to what I was trying to say before when we first brought up Orson Welles. I think if you wanted to make a movie about how Orson Welles was a jerk and needed to like give more credit where it was due, um, I think it's I think that's an easy argument to make. But But if you kind of make yourself a little petty in making that argument it can come off 
in a way that just makes me not care that much. And and I felt like there was just a a smidge of of pettiness to the movie. So it was a little hard for me to care at times, even if on a le- on just a a uh, material level of what is in the movie and how good is it. There's a lot of good stuff in this movie. It's full of good stuff. I just didn't really feel like it added up to something where at the end I was like, oh, I really cared to know all this. I kind of felt like I didn't care that much. The, and actually, I'll one thing even while watching it was kind of hard to swallow was the idea that Mank, and I actually looked this up later, was the idea that the political angle and the political dimension to Citizen Kane all came from Mank's personal experiences with this Upton Sinclair thing. Because I knew already, I don't know a whole lot about Orson Welles, but I do know his politics. And the fact that you're we're trying to make a movie where it's like, here's, here's Mank seeing this thing. And then that obviously influenced the politics of citizen Kane. It's like, yeah, but it's also consistent with Orson's politics and the things I know about him as a political person. So it doesn't make sense that you could just kind of say like, no, that all came from, from Mank. And I, and I looked it up and there's not a lot of evidence that like, there's no evidence that Mank objected to the fake newsreels. You could maybe say that he probably did because of who he was or whatever, however he thought, but there's it's not and i guess it's not even really there in the movie it's not like he really i mean i guess there's this the big scene at the end uh but i don't know yeah it's just like yeah, something he, yeah, about the also, movie there's didn't also no evidence that on a deeper he level. Go was ahead. particularly interested in this governor at all and that he was definitely not a socialist and he was anti-union and it there is not there's no evidence that he like was doing all of this out of anger at himself for his friend committing suicide which also didn't happen um he didn't know the See, guy. I didn't, the even, guy know didn't, that. I didn't even know that the suicide thing didn't happen. So no, I mean, then, no. In fact, actually, the guy who really did those things in the movie, he ends up killing himself at the end, but uh, out of guilt. And in real life, he just profited from it and seemed to feel okay about it. He just <laughs> actually got his job directing big movies like he'd hoped. Yeah. So That's I don't know. What it's the real the guy did. So, line between these two movies today are kind of this feeling of watching something that you know and and they're not exactly the same they're they're quite different no, they're movies. very different which is interesting but they both have a, a a thread of me watching something that i know uh is based on true events and struggling uh to care a lot about it basically that's how i feel about both of them i just thought mank had better stuff in it but it both of them I struggled yeah to I, Alex, I, could, I agree with that i think I that's really just yeah. as a random, since you live in L.A. now, have you yeah. ever thought about going to the Hearst Castle? I have been to the Hearst Castle. You and have? When I was a kid, uh, it's been a long time. My parents took me when we were uh, kids visiting, uh, teenagers probably. Um, it is fascinating. It's uh, it, I didn't care at the time as much as I would now, so we're definitely going to go back when things open up again. Mm. Um, I would love to go back to it. Um, but yeah, it is bananas uh it's just the craziest place i've ever been yeah um i and i would recommend it uh but yeah it would be very different now having cared more about these things and then watch this mm-hmm. um i would i would love to be kicked out for being too sassy i think that would be a cool thing show up drunk at had, a party yeah if Meg and i had that in common give a whole speech about a I movie did, you plan to make I later i did like his speech uh her speech um his his villain speech when he kicks mank out what was I can't remember the metaphor now, but it was um, uh, that like you think that you're the organ grinder thing. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. The organ grinder. The monkey yeah. is like, this is all happening because of me. He thinks he's super duper important. And then this is what a rich guy says as he kicks the his clever friend out when he's not funny anymore. See, that's um, great. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was really I, I, good There stuff. are so many scenes that I liked. There are, so, there are so many character moments I liked. I just didn't know that I really cared that much about the the core. Like when the movie was like, and here's the conclusion. I was like, eh, okay. All like. Right. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is no, like, Zodiac or Gone Girl, but, like, it's yeah. a very good, like, it's just, again, it's that thing where it's like, I, I'm i such a fan of Fincher's craft and the way, and the way he's grown as a filmmaker. That's another part of, like, I think why I like this, because I find that he has such a, uh, because he's a filmmaker I've been watching my whole life, uh, and he is just, his style has changed so much, and he's constantly perfecting it, like, if you go back and look at his early movies to Mank, you can tell they're the same filmmaker, but he's using a completely different language, right? It's just like, it's so amazing to watch him grow and get better and better at doing this. Um, I've also, so I liked the similarity. This is a great pairing of movies, um, which I wasn't entirely sure. I didn't know going in how well they paired actually, but that um because they're both based on true stories with some interesting liberties taken to make certain points of view they're both uh writer director they're, they're both of them make movies where most of the characters seem to think they're geniuses um and to watch how that played out differently i could see somebody not liking the cleverness of this in the same way that i find the cleverness of sorkin movies annoying um, but I really like it on this case. So I, it's weird because I do think there's a lot of similarities with Fincher and Sorkin. And I think Fincher is great and I do not like Sorkin at all. So, which is my fault. I'm I'm well, the problem in that story. I understand. Well, but like, Oh, no, I don't like Sorkin either. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, I, I mean, well, like, and it's interesting like, also that they both did the social network together. So it could be really confusing for both of us. Well, the thing <laughs> with like, like, I think it's, they're very different in terms of like the, the similarities, but also I think their point of views are so different in terms of like, yeah. Uh, Sorkin loves the, you know, the self-righteous smartest guy in the room who is like someone to be like, kind of looked up to and adored and worshiped. Right. Fincher makes movies, not about the smartest guy in the room, but about very obsessive yes. people. Right? right. His movies are about, what obsession does to you and what like the the weight of these things that carry you and like what what these people find so interesting and compelling and the way like that compulsion drives them to make these things like that's a theme through all of his movies like the smartest guy in the room should get a hand job every five minutes is in sorkin's movies yes yes that's a good good summary um i I just want to say one more one more thing about that i think that um with with this movie in particular that I think is really interesting because it's a movie about Hollywood. It, um, first of all, I think that means it'll win a bunch of awards because yeah. boy, they like that. Yeah, um, that's true. Uh, but then also I think that the one, one of the things that's really interesting for me about Mank and then about Fincher and how um, uh, grumpa dump Fincher is in interviews about Hollywood um, is that the character Mank is a New York writer, which he reminds us over and over and over again. And he, so he believes himself to be a high minded artist of writing. He's done plays and he is slumming it in a, in Hollywood where everything is stupid. And then he feels guilty for being part of this big stupid machine, but he stays there because there's a lot of money in it. And so there's this interesting crash from uh with him and how and his like perceived morals and then how he actually behaves and i 
can't help but wondering how much Fincher feels guilty for making movies that he feels like he should be secretly should be writing plays. No one watches or something instead. And doing mm, that's interesting. Art. That's a, that's a, that's a, I, I kind of agree with that read. Yeah. Well, I do. I think that there is a, like Fincher in particular, because he is, his filmography is pretty sparse. Actually, when you look at it, he has these huge gaps between his movies. And, if you look at that time between gaps, it's always really weird because right before Mink, I don't know if you guys remember this, but like he was attached to direct the World War Z sequel. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they were literally weeks from filming when that got oh, shut down. Before man. that, he was before Gone Girl, he was with Disney for years working on 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea for years before that got canned. So he is this, this director who ends up making a lot of these small passion projects, but like between them is always being courted by Hollywood to make the big Wait, dumb franchise. So movie, do you think you know? he gets like a bunch of severance money when the movies don't get made? Well, I mean, I can see him having like pay or play deals. Yeah. Um, Cause but that also, sounds like, like a really good way for him to make a living is he's like, look, I'm going to make my passion project. Then I'll get a million dollars for pretending I'm going to direct this movie and then it falls apart. And then I'll go <laughs> make another cool movie for log me. While he's actually secretly working on his next real movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's and funny. You, you look at like his experience with the girl with the dragon tattoo, right? Like that was supposed to be a franchise. He was, Dude, yeah, that, he I was, wanted the rest of those too. Yeah, like I was, liked that movie enough to want the rest of it. Yeah, he was given Kirk Blanche to make a R-rated trilogy that was go- supposed to be huge. You know, like that was him courting this thing that he like gets almost pulled into every few years, but he doesn't. So I do think that there is like definitely a bit of that. I can totally imagine. That does sound like an artist who's staring into the financial abyss. That sounds like that's real. Yeah. And then he ends up, you know, having to make something smaller and more personal. Like Fincher's definitely like a big part of what really interests me, especially in the past, you know, decade or so, is the way... I think Mank doesn't really fit into this, but like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Gone Girl, uh, Social Network are all movies that are like the material is definitely beneath him in terms of quality. <laughs> like Gone Girl's a great book. Girl with Dragon Tattoo is an okay book, but like they're both yeah, like trashy. I definitely think Gone Girl's a much better book than uh, Dragon Tattoo, which yeah, I yeah. mostly hate. But they're they're both like trashy, you know, buy it to read he all the books yeah. yeah and he like so much of his career the last 10 years is elevating kind of trashy genre stuff mm. which is such an interesting pool for him i think um yeah. that i definitely do think that there is a a bit of what you were saying about bank is definitely in fincher um yeah, yeah interesting all right well i i just uh, for the record for those of you keeping track at home i believe anthony and hunter both generally agree with a point that i made that they had neither of them had thought about before so if anyone asks what my favorite episode of the show was it was this one. Oh wow isn't that great wow i can't believe it happened Good all right job, we're gonna Alex. answer a couple of emails we got but, Zack snyder battle bots and cats real real fast before we do that uh, oh, i was doing a great throw I know. I just want you. Uh, so we are doing this for the Academy Awards. Yes. Um, so I just want to say, do we think because uh, Trial of the Chicago Seven is nominated for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor, Best uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, Best Original Screenplay, Best Cinematography, Best Original Song, and Best Film Editing? Do do we think it's going to win any of those? 
Not the top three. The rest of them I literally could not guess. I have I, no I, idea. I, I hear there's heat for Sasha Baron Cohen winning mm. the supporting actor. That would be I don't agree at such all. Such a bonkers yeah. choice. Dude, I, I've, I've, I've read it. I've read it. I don't know what the competition is either. So, I mean, I, I don't know if there's somebody that can beat him easily. And I mean, I'd imagine if there's anything good on the list besides him, it would be better than that performance. But I don't know. Um, and then, let's see. Uh, Why don't I have this? Here we go. Uh, um, nope. I lost it. Well, okay. And then Mank. I just had Wait, Mank. you said this was for Best Actor? Or best supporting actor. Best supporting actor. That's why I couldn't find him. Um, keep going. Um, and then let me find grab Mank's uh, awards here as yeah, well. Uh, so Mank, I think, definitely has more of a chance to win. Especially, I think uh, Amanda Siegfried, I, I think, has a pretty good chance of winning best supporting actress. I definitely but, enjoyed her a lot, but I yeah, I don't know the competition very well. Mank is nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Gary Oldman, Best Supporting Actress, Amanda Siegfried, Best Original Score, Trent Reznor and Alex Ross, who I just are killing it. I really love their work with Fincher. Best Sound, Best Cinematography, Best Production Design, Best Costume Design, Best Makeup. I think Mank, because it is a period piece and mm-hmm. about Hollywood... Uh, definitely has a chance some of the big ones, but I definitely think it's a lock in for like costume and production design. Um, just because yeah. it is a old Hollywood movie that has a lot of uh, production is old Hollywood production and costumes and they eat that shit up. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I, I definitely think it's going to get some for that. Um, just to add to the best supporting actor question. So Sasha Baron Cohen, then uh, also, Daniel Kaluuya from Judas and the Black Messiah, Leslie Odom Jr. from One Night in Miami, Paul Rassi from Sound of Metal, and Lakeith Stanfield from Judas and the Black Messiah. So I have not seen the other movies. No opinion on that one. Which is that. So that one does have a bit of controversy because uh, the two from Judas and the Black Messiah, if they're both both best supporting actor, who the fuck is the lead of that movie? Right, right. Yeah. Who's the <laughs> best Judas act- and Black Messiah are both nominated for supportings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the two, they what? Like, yeah, how, that's a great how- question. I I will say though, on supporting actress, so uh we have uh Maria Bakalova from Borat, Glenn Close from Hillabilly Elegy, Olivia Coleman from The Father, and I would always I always want Olivia Coleman to win so she can give a drunk speech. Amanda Seyfried from Mank, and then Yoon Yu Young from Minari. That would absolutely be my pick because I just watched that last night and she is amazing in that movie. She's so good. She's so good. I'm excited. I'm excited about these movies. I would Uh, definitely pick her if it was just on skill. Uh, Oh, she rules. Olivia Coleman just got an Oscar, what, three, four years ago. So I don't think they're going to give her another one. I'd give her every one. I'd give her every other year at least. Just as long as they give her plenty to drink. Hollywood is real weird about that. Yeah, I want to ask a, a real quick uh, question. Do we think uh, Fincher could get Best Director for this? Because I kind of hope he don't, but I think he could. Well, so that's the yeah. So that's one based my just assumption that uh, the Oscars like a movie that's about them, and so they like seeing themselves depicted on film. They that might be enough for this. Yeah, and Fincher feels like if anything, he is almost at the point when he's going to get like a career win more than like a film win you know what i mean like more of just like 
yeah, you've made a lot of great movies, and we haven't, we didn't even like nominate Zodiac for a bunch of stuff, like your best movies for a bunch of stuff. So like, I can like, see I will him just being yeah, one. We're, we're, we're gonna come back to this more when we've seen more of the movies, but just already Lee Isaac Chung also nominated for Minari, and I would support that as well. Yeah. Um, anyway, good good questions, and we'll come back to this. And we're gonna watch a couple more movies, check in on this, and then we'll do a whole predictions episode as well. So we are all Oscars all April, um, but. Remember that really good throw I did a little while ago about our mailbag segment? Just it remember really that. Good. All right. A couple of quick emails I want to read. First up from Scott. Actually, this is from Facebook. Scott says, uh, what is your battle bot going to look like? So here's the, and more important, what color? So, uh, Anthony, you had a ton of ideas for weapons for battle bots. Mm-hmm. But let's open up. Another classic Lopez brainstorm, because what we did not talk about enough was themes and names and colors. As you remember, a lot of the teams have pretty thorough themes that involve what they're wearing uh, when they're driving the robot. So what is uh, a what's a theme for a battle bot, a color scheme, a costume you could wear on the side, what a, a domain name that's not already purchased? What would you like to see as a battle bot? Hmm, that's I know it's good... a lot to ask. So let's give you let's let's give you some let's jog your memory. So um, uh, an EMP device was one of your suggestions for a weapon. So what is your EMP battle bot that's shooting out uh, magic rays to stop other robots? Uh, well, that guy would would be called Power Down. Power and Down. Power Down. Oh, I like Power Down. And, uh, or and then like. I, my yeah. my suggestion would be that the people, the outfits then would be like hard hats, high visibility vests. They look like utility workers. And then the art is like uh, the logo is like a power line. That's like s- the, the wire is sparking and flo- like flipping around or something from a, a power line. That would be or a pretty like cool look. Some kind of play on Oppenheimer, like Oppenkiller. Ooh. I don't know. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh, okay. I dig it. Don't nuclear bombs have EMPs as part of the? Th- isn't that I, a thing? This is like now four degrees of separation from the theme. That might be a little bit of a stretch, but I believe they do have some electromagnetic functions like that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, just calling a robot Oppenheimer would also be pretty terrifying. Yeah. Without the even destroyer having a pun of bots. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty solid. Uh, I like that a lot. Okay, so you also had you were suggest you suggested a cannon. I believe you wanted to just shoot projectiles. Mm-hmm. What's your cannons theme? Uh, I'm gonna call him the dreaded pirate Robertson, uh, and have it look like a pirate uh, with a little domino mask. I like and, that uh, pirate theme would obviously be great. There's a few different pirate, uh, uh, close to pirate themes, yeah. And you, could, I would like it if you could actually paint the bot with like uh, brown and then little like the thin black stripes, so it looks like it's made of wood. Yeah, if you could do a you, fake like, wood robot, could you call a Battle bot like Marvel Spider Man without getting sued. Like <laughs> they sue you for naming a battle I, bot after one of their characters. Uh, my my wow. Um, I would assume because um, I've done a few TV things, and every time you do a TV thing, one thing that happens is there's a person whose job is to go around uh, with black tape and just tape over every logo on everything anywhere in the room, every backpack, every shoe. Like, there's no visible logos on most TV things. So I'm going to assume that Discovery Channel would not take the risk of you calling yourself the Amazing Spider-Man bot uh, or something. Well, the uh, Amazing Spider-Bot then. Or, but Spider-Bot or... you could probably get away with. Uh, amazing Spider-Bot even, maybe. 
amazing spider bot and then it just has it would be funny if if you came there and you had actual spider-man decals on everything right so right. the black tape person has to literally just tape right. over parts have of your robot over the, the the word man so it just says the amazing spider the amazing black. spider and yeah, then redacted. that would make it so okay how about this okay you paid a bunch of copyrighted imagery on your thing oh and um so that this way the opponent can't damage you because that would reveal the copyrighted logo. Oh my okay, god, it's a technicality, yeah. and I love it. Yeah. I like that a lot. I would also just be interested in watching your battle bot fight where it's just blurred out the whole time. Yeah, blurry bot. We don't bot. see what's like, going what's on. We just see there? a big blurry mess. That's pretty fun. <laughs> well, right. those bots are having sex, I guess. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty solid. I hope that uh, answers your question, Scott. All right. Um, also on the ca- question of bots and uh, cats. So uh, as I mentioned before, Robin wrote in... Uh, I can't remember what we were talking about about cats, but um, Robin added that her cat is, in fact, a huge fan of the show. And her favorite moments, like I said before, when Anthony and Hunter gang up with me, boo. Um, he also thinks that you'd love the short story Optimizing the Verified Good, which is about battle bots who try to form a union. Uh, so this is a short story on CuriousFictions.com by Effie Cyberg, And I did not read it, but it exists, and I will put a link to it. Um, I really like the... Um, I really like the idea of it. So it's a, a cleaner bot relives a traumatic memory from the BattleBot arena, which leads to a revolution. So it's kind of like uh, BattleBot's fanfic. Uh, I'm super interested in that. So I will read it. Haven't read it yet. Great suggestion, Robin. Uh, thank you so much. And your cat's taste is medium. Um, <laughs> I hope your cat likes this episode where I made one good point. All right. And then uh, lastly, Nora wrote in on our Patreon. So this is like, I guess, a super email. Um, Nora wrote uh, in regards to the, the Snyder Cut episode from a couple weeks back. It really drives me nuts that a loud minority fanboys have won again. These are the same assholes who complain so much about a black man and woman being in the the heads of the new Star Wars trilogy. They convinced Disney to rewrite the next two movies to put Kylo Ren, an actual genocidal man child who throws tantrums in as the protagonist and make him romantic and give him a long form redemption arc. Plus cut Finn out of large parts of the story and make him a side character. Plus make Ray less capable and also make her a descendant of a previous male character so that her power isn't her own. It's because of a man. It's so infuriating. It's absolutely mind numbing. They shouted and whined and argued that Finn is disloyal for turning against the people who raised him <laughs> and Ray can't not be a Skywalker or Palpatine. How else would she have the force? Uh, and now they win again, get a Snyder cut. Um, as a longtime comic book fan and DC comics fan, uh, I can admit there's actually a lot that I like better about the Snyder version. Better character moments, one actual black character, no dumb boob grab jokes, but it's not worth it to me to reinforce to these assholes that they can decide what gets put in the media. Yeah, that's so, a good point. We probably should have included that. I in, feel like we, did, we, 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 we were around it. We didn't quite it, yeah. answer that. Yeah. So I guess I just wanted to bring that up again to get us take a second bite at this apple, which is um, like, w- like, yeah, obviously completely gross. I mean, there is some assumptions that these are the same assholes that ruined Star Wars. Ah, oh, um, come on, they're the same assholes. Okay, you know I, well, it. I, I didn't, we, I didn't take a vote. Know it. I didn't look. They're probably same, a lot of the same assholes. Same type of asshole. Not, I, at if least. they're not the yeah. same type, that's just getting away with the technicality. Yeah. I don't, I don't. Sure, sure, it. sure. I agree. I guess what I'm, I guess what I mean is like, I don't know that they're organized and focused because I sort of feel like these are also the same assholes that tried to get a boat named Bodie McBoatface. Like there's just a people on the internet just like being annoying about no, everything. But, but let's not get away from the, cause there is a clear connection here. 
from what happened with the Snyder yes. Cut and the amount of pressure that these assholes put on Disney. And then in my opinion, Disney did a wor- uh, even worse thing, which is they were it, like in the middle of making some movies and they're like, well, we need to turn this ship around so that it's so that yeah. these assholes like it better. Right. Which yeah, is yeah. a little bit different than saying we're going to do a second version because it's for the assholes. Right. But yeah. Right. It's yeah, not that's great. A good point. Because this basically this is the main thing that changed from us talking about Snyder Cut, which is the worst thing I've ever watched is remembering that you guys convinced me it's not actually a movie. It's a special feature. And if you think of it as this would be on one of the other DVDs in the box and people like me who don't like this series wouldn't Mm -hmm. ever pick that up. So it's I can't judge it as if like I just went to this movie and they showed me a four hour movie where nothing was cut. Right. Right. This is this is a special feature. So it is different to say they got an extra special feature they wanted versus they took a thing that was about to be good and made it bad instead. Um, That is way worse. I think that, you know, a big part that kind of gets lost in the conversation is the kind of placating the fanboys by like, I, if they didn't have HBO Max kind of tanking, the Snyder Cut would have never got released, right? Like this was a Hail Mary to try to well, get. Well, and COVID fans. too, I think was a factor yeah, COVID too. Also. Yeah, like we don't have a lot of news. We don't have any That's a movie and, we can do with it as less reshooting. And then you also have, I think like what has really disheartened me and I really hope it doesn't pick up steam is the kind of if you give a mouse a cookie thing where like yes. right after justice league came out like restore the snyderverse was trending and it's like oh we're gonna do <laughs> oh this all God. over again yeah yeah um, well but hilariously they're not because they yeah. it would be expensive and not worth it and like yeah. once once you assholes have joined hbo max you have little value to them in what they want next. I now don't they know, gotta though. Go f- like, like, that's why it's important to talk about the Disney side, too. Like, yes, this yes. is not the first time that this has happened, that a giant corporation is like, all right, well, we're going to yield to the shit bags. Yeah. Like, that's what, that's our plan. I, to be clear, I'm not uh, in any way on their side. I'm just trying to, oh, like... Oh, I know. Cause, yeah, because I hated the Snyder Cut the most, and I also hate what happened to Star Wars, and I clearly do not like these assholes. Um, yeah, I'm I, not on the fanboy side. I just trying to figure out what I, I'm. I'm less. I guess I'm less optimistic that they're going to be able to keep pulling it off. I think these were two kind of specific moments, and I don't know that it's going to keep happening like that. But I, yeah, I don't know. I. But I mean, you look at like this. You probably don't know much about this, but like, there's a video game like Mass Effect Three that came out like ten years ago that had a big um, fan thing when everyone was angry, and they sort of changed that. And I do, I do think that there is like, uh, like something really gross and entitled about that that comes with media. And I think like the Star Wars stuff, the thing that just depresses me so much about that is this type of thinking of like giving the Star Wars fans what they want. All your Disney's really doing is making it so there's not going to be a new generation of Star Wars fans, right? You can't just keep serving the people who already exist if you're not going to bring new people in. Like Yeah, that's a good point. For better or for worse, like, you know, the prequels are controversial and not great movies, but at least they tried wildly different things than the original Star Wars movies. And I think like what has been so disheartening about what Disney has done. What if this fascist was a baby? Yeah, but like (laughs) Star Wars has done like what Disney has done with them is basically like Bring on J.J. Abrams to just remake the movies people already like. They had Ryan Johnson to try something different. And I think like the way he handled Finn isn't great. 
but at least he was like trying to do something bigger with the overall mythos. Yeah. And Dude, the, the problems world... with the problems with Finn are actually well, I mean, the when when I think of my problems with with Finn and uh, Last Jedi, they're actually pretty similar problems that like Han Solo has in the original trilogy, which is like to be honest, if you examine uh, the movies a little bit, it's like what is Han Solo doing in these movies? Yeah. Sometimes it's just right. unclear yeah. what his arc is or what the point of his character is like they just lose focus that happens yeah, well, in return of the Jedi, Han Solo doesn't do anything yeah. yeah well i've also always said that all the problems like i love last jedi but all the problems with last jedi come from the force awakens right right it yeah. was the force awakens that put luke on an island that he had to figure out a reason why he was there it was the force and then it was awakens Ryan johnson who was like i want to see him milk a sea cow yeah but but it was and you I, know and force i enjoyed awakens. that you I mean, too. Yeah, I, I, I like the, tremendously. i like the milk part i do not understand yeah. why people didn't like the milk part i love I it like great. also when i went to star wars land bought some blue milk because i'm into the different colored milks it turns but yeah, out yeah pitting snoke in there as a mystery race parentage pitting finn in a coma at the end of your first movie like Right. These were all things that Ryan Johnson had to deal with, right? Like, the, if so much of the stuff that I think kind of hurts that movie, even though, like I said, I adore it. I think it's probably my favorite Star Wars movie next to, like, the first two. Um, it is just so much of episode that. Episode one, episode two. Yeah. yeah, episode one, episode two, of course. Uh, well, no, there's the Christmas special and then episode one. Those are the best Star Wars movies. <laughs> I like the Christmas uh, special better than several of the actual movies. Um, but like, I, I, it's it's so bother, it's so depressing to me. Like, I still remember like the first time I really felt out of touch with the internet was I remember like going to see the Last Jedi opening night with a few friends and my wife and we like loved it i i came out the theater seemed to love it everyone was having a great time Dude, i walked out of it being it like too. there's that moment yeah. where everyone was like silent because it because they turned the sound off you know what i'm talking yeah, about yeah. and yeah. that blew the theater oh, away yeah. i haven't been at a movie theater and seen an audience blown away in a long time yeah. And I just remember, also, like, everyone leaving. that I know liked that movie the best. Yeah. And I just remember leaving the theater with my wife and a few friends being like, that was awesome. Everyone's going to love it. And then going on Twitter and seeing people being like, fuck you, Ryan. You ruined Star Wars. And being like, what? Yeah. Uh, and then yeah. watching that grow was so disheartening to me. Yeah. What know? a weird experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, I completely agree. I don't think you should give these people what they want. I do think it's only going to make them keep asking for more and more ridiculous stuff. And I, my only bit of cynicism is that I think if Hollywood thinks there's a better way to make money than listening to them, they will not listen to them. Right. That's where my actual cynicism is, is I'm not sure that these people have the value to Warner Brothers slash AT&T that they used to. AT&T yeah. has got better plans now that they've got your subscriber dollars. Break Disney up, break them up. It's a monopoly. I'm so, done with it. I'm so on board with that. Oh my yeah. god, it's insane. Okay, anyway, it's the only um, way we're gonna win. You're not gonna. You're. They're not gonna just do the right thing. That doesn't even make no, sense. That's not how yeah, capitalism not. works. But it, maybe we not. can get them on a technicality that they're too big, and then they have to break up, and then the industry has to change. I yeah, and they'll find a way not to. Anyway, that's our <laughs> that's uplifting true. message. The point is, the world is not getting better. There are spiders in the ground. Uh, Disney owns everything. Um, good luck out there. But I made a good point. You did. That's yeah, I, I, Sorry, I tried to hit it and then I missed it and it would have been so good. And then we started talking again and then it played. I was just going to say, Hunter, next week we should just be super positive towards Alex. <laughs> to the point that by the end of the episode, he'll just be like, what the fuck?
fuck is going on? <laughs> you guys have been agreeing with me. Robin on my points. throws her phone into a yeah. glass of water. What is happening? <laughs> Yeah. I find that if the movie is newer, I more easily agree with Alex. But if the movie oh. is older, then then me and Alex almost don't ever see the movie the same way. Fascinating. I think that's a thing. Let's keep paying attention to that. This is an interesting theory. Um, and let's pretend that I hit my outro better. And then I made a good point. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening to read it. We'll be back again next week talking about some more Oscar noms. We picked them and then I put it, wrote it on the wrong piece of paper and so now, or piece of the internet, and so now I don't know what we agreed to. What are we watching next week? Uh, Minari and No Man Land. Those are going to be the two best ones, in my opinion. I really liked Minari, you guys. I had such a good time with that movie. I'm even really looking forward to it. Uh, in parts, I really liked it. Um, what a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to No Man Land. So, um, on Hulu, I guess we're going to see if Hulu wants my money again for one month awesome. and then not. Um, uh, join us again for that. Let us know what you think about those two films or anything that we missed in our discussions of Mank and Chicago 7. And yeah, we'll look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks for being here, Anthony. This is a lot of fun. Hunter, always great talking to you. Yeah, buddy. All right. Uh, everybody, get some micro hugs. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Hey.